1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, the tribe of Benjamin refuses to give up the men of Gibeah to judgment and execution, and a very bloody civil war breaks out. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 20, verse 10. Once again, that's Judges chapter 20, verse 10.
2: Deuteronomy 13, verse 12. If you shall hear, say, in one of your cities, which the Lord your God has given to you to dwell in, saying, Certain men, children of Belial. That's who these guys were described as in the previous chapter. They are gone out from among you, and they have withdrawn the inhabitants of the city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. In other words, this is an idolatry situation, but this scenario would apply as well. Then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be the truth and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought among you, you shall surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly and all that is therein and the cattle thereof with the edge of the sword. So this was a protocol that they had here but that the Levite calls for action on his testimony alone. Under Jewish law, nothing can be established under the testimony of one person. The fact that he calls for action based on his testimony alone shows just how far off this guy is. Where's the old man who took him in? Or where's the call to send an investigative team down to Gabeah? Yep. Those things are all absent because they would expose the Levite's own compromises and they would bring him under judgment as well. Now, any proceeding that starts off like that, where you don't have all the facts, where someone's trying to protect themselves, it is bound to reach an incorrect decision, even though it may seem like a no-brainer to mete out justice on the men of Gibeah, Something should be done, but not just to the men of Gibeah, to the Levite, and to some other individuals, and maybe even to the entire nation. Because of that, God isn't going to bless Israel's plans to deal with Gibeah. And lots of people on the side of justice are going to die as a result of Israel's self-righteousness and the ignoring of their own compromises. Well, they don't go back to the word. They just react. He said, And all the people arose as one man, saying, We will not any of us go to his tent, neither will we turn any of us into his house. This phrase, one man, is used to describe the unity of Israel only three other times in scripture. And each of those occasions, the phrase is only used once. It just says it once. It's used three times in this chapter to describe Israel's unity. This is the most strongly united that scripture ever describes the nation of Israel, is in this chapter. I'm not saying it's the most united they ever were, but this is the most strongly united that Scripture ever describes the nation of Israel. None of us are going home. None of us will ignore this wicked act. What will we do? Well, it says, But now this thing shall be the thing which we will do to Gabeah. We will go up by lot against it. We will keep them from doing this to anyone else ever again. And we're going to make sure that everybody's a part of this, whether they're fighting or whether they're bringing provisions, everyone's going to be a part of this. Now, two thoughts here. First off, what is this mention of going up by lot? Well, it means that only one tribe will fight selected by the Lord. That's how they did things back then. They would go to the Lord and say, Lord, who do you want to do this? And then they draw straws or whatever, or they'd consult the high priest and he'd pray and he'd let them know. This is the only mention of the Lord participating in their choice to act or their plans of how to act. Just You pick the tribe, God. You pick the tribe that's going to get the glory. Now, we already know that all of Israel has no king right now and no standard, not just Gebeah. And we see this evidenced in the Levites' numerous compromises all throughout the story from last chapter and in this one. Surely, surely the nation had to recognize that they were part of the problem and that Kabiah was just the ugliest example. But they don't. There's no fasting, no weeping, no repentance, just anger. And then a desire to excise the ugly stain so they can all return to their less ugly but equally unyielded lives. Which brings us to a second thought. The time that we find Israel most unified, at least as it's described by scripture, is a time when God isn't their king and God's word isn't their standard. That means it is possible for a society to unify against a great evil without God being a part of it. And when a society does that, it will never solve the real problem. It will only bring further pain and more tragedy. Always. Now, it appears at some point that the representatives from Benjamin left the proceedings because word now has to be sent to them of the court's decision. Verse 11. So all of the men of Israel were gathered against the city, knit together as one man. Here it says it the third time. We are unified in this. We are together. We are locking arms. And the tribes, verse 12, the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin saying, what wickedness is this that is done among you? Now, therefore, deliver unto us the men, the children of Belial, which are in Gabeah, that we may put them to death and put away evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not hearken to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. But the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together out of the cities unto Gabeah to go out to battle against the children of Israel. Well, with Benjamin leaving the proceedings at some point, the rest of the nation clearly anticipates resistance. So it mentions here that they actually send word, it says in verse 12, they sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin. So they sent word, literally it means to every family in the tribe, hoping that some of them will decide to side with righteousness and arrest the men of Gabeah rather than force the nation to go to civil war, to go to war against its own people. But that plea does not work. It says that the tribe of Benjamin gathered themselves together out of all their cities unto Gabeah to go fight against this 400,000-man army. Now, the question, of course, the burning question is, why wouldn't Benjamin arrest such horrible people? Why defend them? Why would they not deal with these folks? Why go to war with their own people? Verse 15 through 17 tells us. And the children of Benjamin were numbered at that time out of their cities, 26,000 that drew sword. So they're hugely outnumbered. This isn't just going to war to go to war. They are hugely outnumbered. Why would they do this? Why would they put themselves at risk? Well, it tells us. Beside the inhabitants of Gabeah, Why does it say beside? Why did they have 26,000 troops besides the men of Gabeah? Well, because the men of Gabeah were special part of their armed forces. Because the men of Gabeah numbered 700 chosen men. The phrase there, chosen, means the best of a kind or class. These men of Kabea were some of Benjamin's finest warriors. Verse 16 explains. Among all this people, there were 700 chosen men who were left-handed, and everyone could sling stones at a hairbreadth and not miss. The word sinister, you ever, you ever use that? Oh, that's that guy's sinister. The word sinister actually comes from a Latin word that means on the left side. Ancient gods bestowed blessings with their right hand. But curses from their left hand. So, left handed warriors were considered marked by these deities as especially deadly. So, you've got 700 left handed, basically assassins that are out there. These guys are the elite troops of Benjamin. They've probably gotten them out of tons of binds where they fought the people around them, and they're not going to arrest them. Now, these guys are slingers. Now, ancient slinger squads could propel stones at speeds up to 90 miles an hour. I always chuckle when people go, how can the Bible be true? David killed a giant with one stone. Yeah? You ever read history? The Roman historian Livy tells us that an entire Carthagian fleet was kept from anchoring at a Roman city by 4,000 Roman slingers in the Second Punic War. These guys were deadly, man. And so the tribe of Benjamin is saying, listen... We understand they did something bad, but these are good men generally, our best warriors. They've done a lot for our tribe in these difficult times, and a few bad apples aren't a good enough reason to execute all of them. And thus, despite the overwhelming odds, a civil war breaks out in Israel. And at this point, the rest of Israel finally decides, well, maybe we should seek the Lord about this. And they do it, kind of, sort of. Verse 17 the men of Israel beside Benjamin were numbered at 400,000 men that drew sword. All these were men of war. And the children of Israel, they arose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, well, Judah will go up first. <laughs> the word there to ask counsel of God means to ask God a question. It's simple. They went up to the tabernacle, to the house of God. So they don't go to Mizpah. They go all the way up to Shiloh when Benjamin comes out to fight. And they say, no, we're going to fight you they go up and they ask God a question. Which of us shall go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? The question is not, should we go up, Lord? Or how should we go up? But which tribe will get the honor of defeating Benjamin and bringing justice to our land? They thought this would be easy. They're not even going to send all 11 tribes. They're just going to send one. We outnumber them over 10 to 1. We've got our plan, God. We just need you to sign off on it by deciding which tribe gets the glory for doing it. God answers him, send Judah, biggest tribe. But God doesn't sign off on their plan. Look at verse 19. And the children of Israel rose up in the morning and they encamped against Gabeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin, the tribe of Judah. And the men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against them at Gabeah. And the children of Benjamin came forth out of Gabeah and they destroyed down to the ground. Literally, it means they put. 22,000 men of Judah in the grave. That's 22,000 men that aren't returning home to their wives or their kids, their families. They're never going home again. I don't know how many troops Judah brought, but if you divide 400,000 by 11, even a conservative guess means that the tribe of Judah lost over 50% of their soldiers. This was a devastating loss. Israel came out to wipe out a city and one of their own tribes has been cut in half. Why would God let this happen? They're fighting a great evil, right? I believe their reaction gives us the answer. Look at verse 22. And the people, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and set their battle again in array in the place where they put themselves in array the day first day. The word phrase encourage themselves, it means to rally one's strength. The soldiers, you know what, we got this. We can do this. We just need to stick to the plan. We can do this. This phrase to encourage oneself is the same that's used to harden your heart. We can do this. There's another time where God's people found themselves in a place they shouldn't be. David and his men in the land of the Philistines, you Remember? David flees the land of Israel. Remember the first time he fled, where did he go? He went to Moab. And then God sent a prophet over there and said, what are you doing in Moab? You're an Israelite, get back in the land. And so David comes back in the land. Of course, Saul's chasing around. And finally, David just goes, I'm done. I'm done running. I'm gonna go somewhere safe. And so David goes to the land of the Philistines. And to exist in the land of the Philistines, he has to join the Philistines army. He has to join with the army of the enemy, the people that are killing his people. And while he's there, he has to lie to the Philistines and say that he's raiding Israeli cities to stay in the land of the Philistines. When in fact, he's not doing any of that. He's actually raiding Philistine cities and blaming it on the Israelis. And David, it's working out perfect for him. Great. Everything's good. And then finally... They're going to war with Israel. It's going to be a big, full-scale war. And the king of the Philistines turns to David, and he says, David, you and your men are coming with me. You've been so faithful to me. You've proved your loyalty. Come on down. We're going to finish this. We're going to get rid of your enemies forever. And something happens when they get to the border of Israel, and the four other lords of the Philistines said, what's that guy doing here? He's killed tons of our people in the past. And they convince the king and say, we don't want this guy with us or his men. They'll turn on us. And so David has to go home, not home, but to the home he's made away from home. And when he gets there, turns out all their kids, all their wives have been attacked by the Amalekites and taken away. And all David's men are ready to kill him. They're ready to stone him. You did this. We shouldn't be here. And they're ready to kill him. And what does the scripture say that David did in that moment? When God allowed tragedy to get David's attention, we see a very different response from David in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6, it says, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag, that's where he had made his home base in the Philistine lands, on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captive that were therein. They didn't slay any, either great or small, but they carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke about stoning him because the soul of every man was bitter. They had been bitter about about this for a while, fighting with the Philistines, being where they shouldn't be. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. Now that's a pretty low moment. I mean, what's David going to do? Well, he has a very different reaction than the nation of Israel. It says, but David encouraged himself, period, is that what it says? He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That's very different than just saying, we can do this, guys, to rally your strength, to harden your heart. God gets the nation's attention through this. And so in verse 23, we do see that there's weeping. We do see that they're broken now, at least a little bit by what's going on, but they don't actually repent like David did. Not yet. Not yet. Verse 23 says, and the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening. And they asked God a question again, saying, shall I go up against battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother? You can tell at least now it's affected them a little bit. Prior to this, we don't see an ounce of brokenness over what's happened. These are their own brothers they're planning to wipe out. Shouldn't there have been weeping before this? They're aware that it's their brothers now at the heavy cost of their actions. But there's still no self-examination no repentance. None of the confession that, God, you haven't been our king and your word hasn't been our standard. So when they ask God if they're supposed to continue the fight, God says, yes. Yeah, keep fighting because God is willing to do whatever it takes to get their full attention. Verse 24, and the children of Israel came near against the children of Benjamin the second day and Benjamin went forth against the Mount of Gabeah the second day and destroyed down to the ground of the children of Israel. Again, another 18,000 men, to all these drew the sword. Defeat again. 18,000 men got put in the ground, never to return home, never to see their families again. What is going on? Well, after this defeat, they do more than just weep. Verse 26. Then all the children of Israel and all the people, they went up and they came to the house of the Lord. Now they're not just going to weep right where they are and strengthen their rally, their strength and say, let's go back out at it. No, no. Now they come up to the house of the Lord and they weep before the Lord and they sat there before the Lord. What do you mean they sat there before the Lord? This is a very common Jewish practice in Lamentations chapter two, verse 10, it describes it when Israel, Jeremiah's watching the trails of captives go into Babylon, into captivity, he describes the scene of what he's seeing people doing as the captives are being led away. In Lamentations 2.10, it says, The elders of the daughter of Zion sit upon the ground. The leadership of Israel sitting on the ground, and they keep silence. They don't say anything. They have cast up dust upon their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem hang down their heads to the ground. Doing this, sitting and casting asses on your head. When you do this, it also mentions that they fasted there until the evening. Fasting and weeping and casting asses upon your head as you sit in the ground. They're all symbols of repentance. Now they're finally saying, what have we done wrong, God, that you're not with us in this? What do we need to do to make things right? And so they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Finally, Finally, they're saying, God, we, we, we need you. Burnt offerings were a symbol of absolute surrender. God, not our way anymore, your way. Peace offerings showed your desire to have a relationship with God, to fellowship with God. And they do this until the evening. And then the leaders decide it's time to allow the Lord to have his proper place. And their question this time reflects that. Verse 27. And the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, Aaron's grandson, son of Aaron, stood before it in those days. And the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I still again go out to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or shall I cease? They finally give God the option of not saying, Here's what we're going to do, God, put your hand on it tell us who's supposed to lead the way. Now they finally say, God, what do you want us to do? And they leave the option on the table of even not fighting. Maybe we've gotten this all wrong, God. Maybe we're not supposed to do it this way. They don't tell God what they're doing this time. They want to know what he wants them to do, even if it means not fighting. Now, there's still no sin offering. There's still no trespass offering. So they're not admitting that they're part of the problem, that the whole nation is astray right now. But, they are admitting wrongdoing in their approach to this problem. And thus, this time, the Lord gives them a full answer and a promise of victory. It says, and the Lord said, go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. And So verse 29, it says that Israel set liars in wait, ambushers all around the city of Gabeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day. They put themselves in array against Gabeah, just like other times. They made it look just like other times. So they've got these ambushers all around the city of Gabeah. And the children of Benjamin, they went out against the people, and they were drawn away from the city, and they began to smite the people and to kill, as at other times, in the highways, of which one goes up toward the house of God, and the other to Gabeah in the field. They basically killed on the road about 30 men. And the children of Benjamin said, Hey, they're smitten down before us, just like the first time. But the children of Israel said, hey, we're going to organize a a retreat. We're going to make it look like we're running again. But we're going to draw them away from the city under the highways. So all the men of Israel, they arose up out of their place and they put themselves in array at Baal Tamar. And the ambushers of Israel, they came out of their places, even out of the meadows of Gebeah. Not only that, this time they don't just pick a tribe. It says, verse 34, there came against Kabiyah 10,000 chosen men out of all Israel. This time, they don't care what tribe you're from. We want the best 10,000 men in our nation fighting these guys this time. No games, no glory, no honor. We're going to do this with humility. And even then, the Bible says the battle was sore. It was fierce even for Israel's best soldiers. But they knew not that evil was near them. Benjamin didn't know that evil was near them. So the Lord smote Benjamin before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed out of the Benjamites that day 25,000 and 100 men out of the 26,000. All these drew the sword. Gone is the self-confidence. Gone is the desire for glory. They are treating the situation now with seriousness, with humility, and with the wisdom that such a serious matter deserves. Forget about this one-tribe nonsense to see who gets the glory. We're going to send our best 10,000 soldiers in the nation to hold Benjamin's best while the ambushers spring their trap. And they prevailed this time. It tells us why they prevailed this time. For it says, verse 35, and the Lord smote Benjamin before Israel. The Lord fought for them this time. That's why their plan worked well, how did the battle turn out for Israel? We just get the ending here. Now we're going to get some of the details. Verse 36. And I'm going to move quickly through this because there's not a whole lot to mention. So the children of Benjamin, they saw that they were smitten for the men of Israel gave place to the Benjamites. They started to flee like they had the first two days because they trusted unto the ambushers, which they had set beside Gabeah, the liars in wait. And so as soon as the Benjamites came far away from their city. It says the ambushers, they hasted, they hurried, and they rushed upon Gabeah, and the ambushers drew themselves along. They spread themselves out throughout the city, and they smote all the city with the edge of the sword. Whatever resistance was in there, whatever anything was in there that was resisting, they, they killed them. And then verse 38 tells us, now there was an appointed sign between the men of Israel, the ones who were drawing Benjamin out and the ambushers that they should make a great flame with smoke rise from up out of the city. And when the men of Israel retired in the battle, when they were starting to flee, Benjamin began to smite and kill the men of Israel, about 30 persons, 30 brave men died in this process. For they said, surely they are smitten down before us, just like in the first battle. We'll just take them again, see how many we can kill. But when the flame began to rise up out of the city with a pillar of smoke, The Benjamites looked behind them, and behold, the flame of the city ascended up to heaven. They knew they'd been had. They knew that they'd been fooled.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.